There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Paulina. She was a survivor of the Toronto van attack. Let's talk about it. Um, All right. Today we are, uh, we're going down, we are going down, uh, one of those roads that are uh, a little bit more intense, I think, than than what we what we often kind of stroll down. Uh, this is this is uh, I I actually have a little bit of like j- like jitters, um, and and I feel a little bit nervous going into this. It sounded like some uh, nervous laughter there, bitch, <laughs> Jer. I don't know. <laughs> I'm feeling the same. I just am talking to Phil Space because God. I don't know how to handle myself right now. <laughs> um, uh, the reason is because we're going to be talking about a, um, a very, like a, a rather traumatic event, and um, this was a traumatic event that was uh, that was felt around the world, um, uh, most certainly felt here in Canada, definitely, definitely felt very intense here in Toronto, where I'm currently residing right now, and, um, and most certainly even more so for our friend Paulina. Paulina, hi. How are you, first of all? Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, good morning. And uh, yeah, yeah, hopefully everyone's listening <laughs> to this in the morning. Um, uh, Paulina, why don't you, let's just like fucking pull the cat right out of the bag and uh, address the elephant in the room and some other metaphor with an animal that I can't think of. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's <laughs> happening right now? <laughs> Paulina, what, uh, what is this traumatic event that we're going to be talking about today? Okay, we're jumping in. Yeah, um, we're fucking so doing it. <laughs> Rip I the was, band-aid off. Rip it right yeah, off. We're doing it. Um, I was walking down the street, working up in North York, kind of like a little bit north of Toronto, working very stressed out. My mind was on other things. And all of a sudden I see a van coming up, um, almost hit my friend and I, and then it thankfully missed us, but kept driving down the sidewalk and he drove intentionally into, I think, I believe, I can't remember the amount of people, but um, killing a number of women and other um, innocent bystanders. (sighs) <sighs> yeah, this was, uh, what year was this? Mm. This was the, so the Toronto van attack that took place. 2018. It was 2018? Yeah. April 23rd. Wow, it seemed, I can't believe it was that long ago. Yeah. Fuck, God damn it. Yeah. I, I mean. It was uh, 10, 10 uh, people lost their lives on that day and 16 okay. other people were critically injured. Oh, Brian, you did your research. You, look, you, you did, were looking yeah. this up. Yeah, good, good, yeah, good job. I was too scared to, to look into it. You, yeah, can tell, you can tell that that was like, that was a, that was like a headline quote that Brian. Yeah, it was like a way. It was the, 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 front, the first paragraph that last we, night. That was, that was the, the subtitle of uh, way, Toronto And on, honestly, and and maybe this is worth saying right now too is the reason why I, I because I don't really look into anything before we record and talk about it. But I felt nervous having this conversation because mm. it, it's a very traumatic experience, and I think that people can probably tell by listening to this that it's kind of hard to like figure out how to talk about it and and that's i guess kind of the goal yeah of this conversation today is to try to navigate what would be like a really challenging conversation i i guess paulina um you know it's been three years since this experience i'm i imagine that you've probably had countless conversations with people about the event i mean people are are so i, I think as human beings we're so curious and you know, if you find out that somebody was there on that day when that traumatic event happened, our curiosity sometimes gets the best of us and we want to know what happened. And, mm. and like right off the top, sort of as a foundation for this conversation, um, what has it been like for you to sort of talk about that and have these probably pretty awkward conversations at times about the event itself? 
Yeah, that is such a good question. And that's part of the reason why I'm so excited to be on here with you three today, just because of the way you're able to ask these questions that people have been dying to ask forever, but are often too uncomfortable to bring up. So yeah, it it wasn't something I spoke of. It's a really uncomfortable conversation. I mean, even after the days following, you want to let your loved ones know like what happened, what you're going through, but it's so awkward text to send or call to receive. Like, how do you even start to open that up in dialogue? And then as it's been three years and a bit now, so as the time passed and you reconnect with people or it's like, oh, how have you been? What are you doing? It it is the most uncomfortable thing to talk about. And Mm -hmm. you can almost see the color drain from someone's face when you bring it up and it's been a learning process of me. And as my story evolves, as my journey continues, being able to explain things in a different way and to be able to tell my story in a way that describes the trauma, because it is helpful, especially when I was going through really challenging times for my loved ones and um, friends to be able to know what I was going on through, but truly to be able to tell the story in detail Um, not many people know all of the little details because it's really a really touchy and deep subject to get into. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and at at the start too, before we started recording, um, um, Jerry asked if there was anything that, that you were wanted to avoid talking about, if there was anything that you weren't comfortable talking about that, that you could let us know. But I'm, I, I think of all of the experiences that we've had talking to people who have been through trauma and, it is such a unique experience processing that, that like mm-hmm. it isn't, you know, somebody listening to this might hear you talk about it in a certain way. And that doesn't mean that that's going to map to like their friend or family member's experience going through some other type of trauma. So it's, it is kind of hard to know what to say because, you know, the right thing, quote unquote, to say or ask um, somebody who's been through an experience like that is not the right thing for everybody. It's such a unique situation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, something, yeah. No, no, go, go for it, Paulina. Yeah, yeah okay. get, get in there. <laughs> with trauma, there's oftentimes disassociation. So especially with me, my brain kind of disconnected from my body because it wasn't able to process it. And the more time that passes, I'm able to understand um, the mind-body connection and how we're able to survive and move forward with different components, um, within our body and mind, but it's just been incredible. Um, I am a lawyer by training and was working as a lawyer at this time. So I was able to factually give the details, very linear, very logically, uh, very cold and emotionless. I was able to do that, but only the past few months, the year through my healing and coming to a more sturdier place of understanding and growth, have I been able to share like the really intimate details that give people a true understanding of just the gravity of what happened that day? Well, then like, can we get into those, those more intimate details? I mean, you were saying, so, you know, you were walking with a, with a friend. Um, uh, it was, it was on your lunch break, right? So it's so fascinating now looking back at all these little like, five second differences that could have made a totally like I, I would not be here today for hundreds of different reasons that if it had gone a different way, yeah. just I would have been more in the path. But yeah, I we did these walks every day at lunch. And actually, it was one of my first days I had broken my foot a little earlier. So it was one of my first days walking without a big like boot on, which would have made me a very easy target. Um, but I feel so incredibly lucky. We were, we had just left the door. Um, we were walking down the street and I heard someone honk, which downtown, like lunchtime, busy street on Young street, of course it's normal for someone to honk, but for some reason, and this is where again, it gets into that like intuition, um, that deeper understanding, I decided to turn around And that's when I see the van coming up and my logical mind is trying to come up with solutions of, okay, like that was a mistake or as he keeps driving forward, okay, he's trying to avoid the cops. My brain is scanning for cops, no cops. And then as he's coming towards me, and this is all a time of like from a van coming from the street onto the sidewalk, but my brain is just trying to come up with an analysis of what the heck is happening Mm -hmm. here. Um, And then, so my brain finally, when it realizes that this van is coming towards us intentionally and I am able to see my friend in the path and then me, 
I'm trying to will my body to grab her, to speak the words, to kind of get us to safety. But like by honestly a divine source, I was able to pull her out of the way. My brain was frozen, but my body intuitively grabbed her out of the way. We stepped to the side. And at that point he had to turn to keep heading down Young Street. So it's really incredible, all of the small minor details that if any one thing had shifted, I would not be here today. Mm. Yeah, you think about those, you think about those, um, the like, all, like every decision of that day, um, like anything that's happened to me in my life that's been, you know, one of those moments that just gets seared into your, into your mind, for, you know, and it'll be there forever in some way or another, you think about those, like, you know, back to, if I had woken up a little bit later, yeah. if I had, if, if I, I had hit if snooze I once, if I, if I had didn't anything. Like that piss break, like, like yeah, anything. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, anything, five, honestly, five seconds. Like yeah. if someone like just five seconds, it would have made all the difference. Yeah. yeah. When you, when you experience this, is it immediately traumatic in the way that, do you recognize it as something that, like, that you are like, that is so like a, this really profound moment or is there, or is there a delay in how you process that and realize the sort of like gravitas of, of the whole experience? For sure. It was, it took me about two years and right after it. So I went back into work. We worked from home. I was with my coworkers and we went um, we worked from home the next day. And then after that, I was back into work and preparing oh, wow. for a trial. So working like very long days, working with clients. And I was just so I, I couldn't comprehend what had happened. And it didn't hit me really the impact of a life or death experience like that. But I went back and work was the only thing I could do. I I was crying fountains of tears all the time, everywhere, but I couldn't, um, activities of daily living, I couldn't do. So I couldn't eat, I couldn't shower, but I threw myself into my work. Um, and that was the only way that I could function as a, as a person and get out of bed every day. But yeah, I didn't, did not even come close to understanding the true impact of that until years later. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I was, I was curious about that. I was curious about that because it, because Brian and I had an experience. And this is something we've talked about on the show before, so I won't go into the details. But the long story short is that Brian and I basically found a guy in an airport bathroom late at night who had OD'd on heroin and CPR and and the whole nine yards. And everybody came and you know he lived and but it was a really drawn out experience. And I remember walking away from that and thinking like by the next day, like, oh, that was just an experience, a crazy experience. Mm. And it, but it wasn't like until three weeks later that I realized that that whole three weeks had been like, I'd been depressed. I'd had anxiety. It had affected like every aspect, like how I felt about going to work, how I felt about being able to do things, communicate with people, everything. But it was this like major delay in that. And, and it's really the closest thing that, that, that I have in my life that I can relate to, to, to anything that you've gone through in terms of being like, you know, this, this really profound moment that, that, that had, that meant a lot and that had like really huge consequences for somebody's life. And, uh, and so as soon as, uh, as soon as we started speaking, I was really curious about that because that's, because my experience was this huge delay. So I was curious to know about that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Which so makes it harder to like also, understand the impact that it has on you if you don't initially feel it because you're saying like you've only recently realized that there was that sort of like three-week period where you're like oh fuck i was like depressed yeah yeah it's in in hindsight it's not in it's not like i was never like oh i i'm i'm depressed Mm -hmm. never in in the actual event itself like how, how did it end up playing out after the van misses you guys did did you like, were you there? Were you at the at the at the point where the van ended up coming to, or like it, it, at least in eyesight of like where the van ended up coming to a, a an eventual stop, and and you know with police being involved and all those types of things, and and then on top of that, like, what is the process afterwards? Like, are you you're now a witness to 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 something that needs to be unpacked and analyzed and and like so was there was there a lot of um was there a lot of work 
on your part to be to play that role as like the witness to to something like that? So to explain the situation a little further, um, Young Street is a super long street and he had come up on the sidewalk, I believe, once before and then went back on the road um, briefly. And then the next like intersection came back up where I was. So it's a very long straight road. um, And he was able to get um, not super far down. The cops handled this situation incredibly well. Um, But yeah, after, so you like, I, I was right there. And and of course on the sidewalk, like seeing him intentionally speed up and drive into these women and then drive over their bodies and then keep going and doing it again and again, like just, horrific and then after this it all happened of course my brain goes into shock and I'm um I I felt so guilty for a long time afterwards to be totally honest with you because I was a lifeguard a few summers growing up and have been trained in CPR all these things so I was seeing these like lifeless bodies on the ground and some people are running over to help and I just felt so frozen and helpless and I carried that with me for a long Mm. time until I truly started to understand the impact of shock on the body um, and how I was frozen and that I did the best that I could, of course. But yeah, so after this happened, um, I actually went right back into work (laughs) and I went back into my office and we were expected to stay the whole day. And once I kind of realized what was happening. Um, one of my coworkers actually was the one who suggested that we were going home for the rest of the day. So at that point, um, and yeah, I had, um, it, I was in a big office building at the time. So I actually had a friend who worked upstairs who had heard what was going on. So we were talking a little bit, but I didn't understand, um, truly the impact of the situation. So I just kind of sat there and was numb for a a few hours. Mm -hmm. And then I, when I went to leave, I knew that I was going to be going home to stay with a friend. So I actually, was trying to get home everywhere was blocked off. So I walked down to the next intersection past it all. This explains how much in shock I was and how much I did not understand the situation. So I walked into whole foods and bought some peonies for her and some chips and was going to be on my way after that until my mom kind of, I called my mom and told her the situation. And she told me that I should probably give my witness statement. So It was one of the eeriest things ever at this point. It was hours later, everything like stretches of kilometers were blocked off on one of the busiest streets here. And in order to get back up to where the police were taking witness statements, I had to walk the whole path of Young Street past the van still there, um, past like the stains on the road. Um, It was just eerie is the only way I can describe it. Yeah. So then gave my statement with the police and um, that was that. And and in that process of giving the statement, um, are you are you being told by anyone, um, whether it's the police or or you know or or whoever else happens to be <clears throat> at that scene or or you know in that scenario, like are you being told by anyone? Okay, Paulina, we we also like, you know, like you should you should. Like we need to set you up with someone to talk to for you, you know, or is that, is that kind of, is that sort of something that you had to, um, you had to kind of do on your own? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I would assume in normal circumstances when they're taking witness statements, they would also offer support. However, because there were so many witnesses, so many people impacted and really, So many people physically injured that that was not offered to me and no fault of um, how they handled it. I think that they handled it extremely well. However, they did connect me when you give your witness statement. There's a service here called Victims Assistance Services, something like that. So they would reach out to me during the process. And if news was, let's say he had a hearing coming up or his name would be in the news, anything like that, they would kind of let me know. So they were really helpful during the first little bit. But one of the biggest gifts of this this all for me was that a family friend really stepped in and connected me with uh, a therapist here that I went to see within like four, three or four days of this happening. So 
I feel incredibly lucky to have had that support, such an amazing therapist. And she's also a family doctor. So she prescribed me medication, which I desperately um, needed. And I'm grateful for mm-hmm. her guidance on that as well. <laughs> what What was that like? What was that process like? Um, the therapy specifically for something like that? You know, it's I, I think um, you know, Brian Taylor, myself, like we're we're familiar with therapy. We've all been to a therapist and, and, um, and I think a lot of our listeners are, are kind of familiar with that process, but I, I can imagine the, the process of therapy after something like this event looks and feels a little bit different. <clears throat> um, like how, how, in, how intense is that therapy that you, that you had like absolutely have to go through after something like this. Yeah, it was intense is a great word for it. And I feel incredibly grateful that because she is a family doctor, she was covered by OHIP, which is our like um, health insurance here. So I had the ability to go, I was going twice a week, I think for at least a year. So I worked um, a few months after this and then I got laid off. Um, which was again, such a gift because it was a really unhealthy way that I was dealing with my trauma, just being able to go into work and take my mind off of it. So after I got laid off, then my full-time job basically for a year was going to therapy um, twice a week. Mm -hmm. And then I'm still like weaning off therapy and um, finalizing like the end of this journey, getting back to real life. Um, but something even better than I could have imagined. However, <laughs> it's definitely been intensive therapy. <laughs> right. Is there anything that's like when you when you're go, when you're when you're going to your th- like? It seems uh, I don't. I feel like on the surface level, on the surface level, going to therapy for something um, something like this, you know, really. I guess like seeming, I want to use the word like seemingly because I, because I really think that it's much more complicated, but like seemingly clear thing where there's this event, this crazy person does this awful, awful thing. You're a witness to it. You're right there. You see it and you've got to work through that. Um, but like, what is the, like when you're, when you were working with your therapist, but like what, what, were there any surprising things that you kind of uncovered that were affecting you that that you sort of really wouldn't have thought of, thought was the case um, going going into it? That is such a beautiful question, and again, that's been one of the biggest gifts of my experience to be able to. So, in my first session of therapy, um, I just cried like a fountain. I cried like a fountain for months and months and months, but she was asking me like, you know, how I felt or how I had dealt with bad things that had happened to me in the past. And I was 28 at the time. And I just kind of looked at her and said, like, nothing bad has ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. And then through the journey of therapy, we were able to, or I was able to understand that we only have so much capacity to handle these things before it's just finally, we kind of overfill or overload and we're at capacity. We can't do it anymore. So I think that like could show up as burnout for some people. It could show up as physical ailments for other people. Um, so a great under, or like to provide more understanding of this, I was with two coworkers at the time and they have not had the experience that I have had, um, and the repercussions that I have had after this, event. Um, however, I was at max capacity. I was overflowed. So mm. yeah, it was such a beautiful opportunity to unpack the way that I had been living, the way that I had been thinking and to be able to shift my patterns and shift my beliefs and to choose differently. Mm. It's interesting because I, um, like with my experience in, in therapy and, and I guess this is very anecdotally because I don't really understand therapy outside of my experience, but, um, I find that every session that I've gone to, I, it usually starts with a problem. So I say, this has been on my mind, or this experience has been bothering me, or this is a habit that I feel like I have. And, and wherever, whatever that like initial sort of event or thing is that I go in to talk about, it always, the session never becomes about that thing. It always becomes about, okay, well, why? Like, why do you, why do you, um, 
have that habit? Why do you process things that way? Why, why are those the behavioral traits that you exhibit in this situation? Why do you cope with that thing this way? And so we, we work back and it always leads back to, and, and Paulina, I identify with you as someone who was like, I, I haven't had anything hard happen to me in my life. Like, I don't know why, why do I do these things like this? But then you go back and you're like, Oh fuck. Like, mm-hmm. that's why I respond to that mm-hmm. this way. And like, yes. Um, what what you've been through is a severely traumatic experience, but it's, it, it sounds like Taylor, when you ask that question, like seemingly it, it, it's like, there was this event, this is what happened. It should be like very black and white and how that, you know, how you process that in your mind. Also but bad is relative, you know, like you're, relative right. to your experience. Right. Well, but it also, and the reason why it is relative <clears throat> is because like you've built these ways to cope and understand mm situations throughout your entire life. And then your ability to process those is based on events in your experience from your past. So like when something this like, like this happens, it's not just a matter of like, okay, like you need to understand that this person was crazy and they did this crazy thing. And like, you were just a bystander to that because it's like, there's all these things that influence your ability to cope. And without understanding those things, you have no, Op, you'll you won't have an opportunity to process the trauma that you're going through mm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that, that's very anecdotal. No, for but me, that was that was that was like, like it's true. That was like that was similar to my experience with therapy when I when I went after I got uh, hit by the car and and trying to figure out like how do I feel about riding my bike again? How do I feel about mm. traffic? How do I how do I feel about pain and danger and all that stuff? And it was a lot of questions about my about like how have you handled things in the past and you know exactly like you said Paulina I was like nothing bad has happened to me but like relative to me you know like so if I think if I think that nothing bad has happened to me like maybe if you put that into you know if I said you know if I had if I had lived a few more years and and you know, gone through both getting hit by the car and finding that guy on the floor, I would have said, oh yeah, this other, I could have pointed to this other thing as bad, but I hadn't been there yet. So bad, bad for me was just, you know, stuff that I found I could deal with, but, mm. pro, but, but you're, like you said, you know, I, I had dealt with it in a certain way and, and the therapist was trying to figure out how did you deal with those things and then now that's going to influence the way that you deal with this. And is that a good way or a, a is that a healthy way or an unhealthy way and, to deal with and, that? And interestingly, um, you know, that the situation with the, the guy that we found in the airport, um, you had, you went through this like um, mini period of depression after that. Actually, I felt fine through the situation, not because it wasn't a traumatic experience for me too, but I had actually had a similar experience in the past mm where something almost the same had happened and I had I had felt really depressed after that other situation um and so when the the airport thing happened I reacted in a way that was sort of like informed by this past experience and then therefore like I had this set of like you know sort of like built-in tools or capacity to like process and handle that situation in in a different way I guess and so Pauline like when you talk about people having, you know, you felt like you were at your capacity with dealing with this thing, but other people seemingly handled it, you know, okay in quotation marks because we don't really know what they've been through. Like it's, it is just this like everybody reacts differently to different situations, but I think it also speaks to the point like where like, you know, the more, I guess like it just goes to show how resilient people can be when they go through trauma and experiences and things that they can learn through those things like nobody wants to deal with traumatic experiences but like when you are able to I don't even want to say overcome but like when you're when you go through a, a challenge like that you you learn and you yeah. you um, develop these sets of tools if you process things properly like if you just shove it under the rug yeah. then you're never gonna there's growth yeah. pr- there's growth available right
Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. In the process, Paulina, of, of processing what you went through, and in particular with your therapist, um, were you being encouraged to to like get out there into the world and like actively talk about what you went through? Like, was that, was that a, a, a part of the healing for you? No, I wasn't even close to being able to do that. Like I've only started sharing my story basically a year ago now. And that was just more through friends because like we talked about earlier, it was really, it's not an easy thing to bring up casually when you're meeting up with someone or um, talking on the phone, like it really isn't. So I didn't start sharing my story and I wasn't even, I mean, I was focused on coping. I was focused on trying to take a shower, (laughs) trying to eat um, for a very, very long time. So no, it wasn't even close to, I mean, it is of course so healing to share your story, but I wasn't even close to being ready for that. When you did start, um, did you, what were the reactions like, like from the people in your life uh, that you, that you did feel comfortable enough to like um, sort of open up and and describe the things that you went to like were you <clears throat> was it one of those things where you started to notice like oh this is this is something that people are just not ready to fucking sit down and hear or 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 was the experience completely different from that yeah it goes both ways a lot of people felt surprised understanding that i had went through something like that and had no idea and then there was just kind of silence after that, not knowing how to react or how to respond. Mm. And then on the other hand, I was blown away by everyone sharing their stories of not just trauma, but going through challenging times. And it felt incredible and still feels incredible. And that's why I feel so lucky getting to share my story and help support other people with Mm. what I've learned, but to be able to connect with people and I, I think human connection is something we all crave more than ever, especially now. And a lot of times when we're going through hard things and especially when I was going through my journey with mental illness, I felt so alone and I felt so much shame around my story, Mm -hmm. an incredible amount of embarrassment about not being able to do the things I used to be able to do or to be the person that I used to be. However, it's been an incredible experience being able to share and open up to people and make people feel less alone and more seen and heard because Mm. we will all go through, I mean, I pray not as intensive situations as I have been through, but we'll all go through hardship. I mean, even during these past two years, whatever the time is now, um, everyone's kind of dealing with a little bit of identity shift or loss in some sort of way. So we'll all feel that. And the more we're able to share and connect over it, I feel like the more supported and less alone we'll all feel. Just just on what you just said, they're just curious to know what your thoughts are on where you think those feelings of like shame and embarrassment come from. And is that so, is that something that you're exploring or, or have explored through therapy? That's a very good question. Um, I think it goes back to that sense of resiliency, and I really hate hate the word resiliency because hmm. I think that we're all taught to deal with these things in unhealthy ways of picking yourself up and moving forward, picking yourself up and moving forward. You can get through this. You can get through this. You can get through this. But the pause that I had to be able to actually process not only the thoughts, but the physical emotions and to be able to heal my body and my mind was, has made me into so much better of a friend, a partner, Mm. a sister, a daughter, an employee, 
So yeah, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. I forget what the question is now, but I think that we all need to show ourselves a little more patience and deference. And I felt a lot of shame because I couldn't go to brunch with my friends. I couldn't go into work or just get another job. I couldn't be around people. I couldn't do any of these things. And that was a huge part of my identity. Right. Yeah. I I think the thing that, um, that is interesting about resilience is that, um, people think that resilience is, 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 has to be a mindset when I don't think the purpose of resilience is to be a mindset. I think, I think resilience better describes the human experience of going through grief or a growth period more reflectively in hindsight. So like you are a resilient person if you've experienced a a really intense challenge and over time you've experienced all of the emotions, you've had a chance to self-reflect and have that pause, like you mentioned, and, and grow through that. And that's what makes you resilient. Not, not the fact that you're just like, I need to like toughen up and just get through this and get on with, with my life. Like, I think, I think that's the type of resilience that we need to focus on as being valuable in the human experience rather than like just the mindset perceived mindset (laughs) of resilience. Um, but the, the other thing I wanted to ask Pauline is, is you, you mentioned like there was a sort of two year period, um, where you didn't feel like you were ready to talk about it. And I'm curious, like what, what does it take to be ready to talk about something like this? Like what type of work goes into that? Well, first of course I did, I did so much work with therapy, um, spending time with myself, having to actually sit there and be with my feelings. I mean, meditation has been such a gift for me in that sense of having to, and, and a great example is how I threw myself into my work after and wanted to keep going more, but having to actually sit with myself and my feelings and my thoughts and do all that as a process. And then I think the final point would just be ownership. Like I had to own where I was at. I had to own my past and to really step into it. And then I was able to see it as such an incredible opportunity and gift to be able to transform through that and Mm -hmm. use it as an opportunity rather than be ashamed that I wasn't able to function, not for fault of my own, but not being able to function as a mm. quote unquote normal human being. Mm. I, is there I a just, time when you when you realize that like you are ready, or is it just like sort of this thing that in hindsight you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, I was Pauline fine. is like, like I, I was finally I'm still ready. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 no, there's no way. Like, yeah. it, no, like I, I mean, I posted an Instagram just very briefly that I, I can't even remember what I commented I made sure my friend edited it very well for this big (laughs) debut but I can't even remember what I wrote just sharing a little bit about what I experienced and opening up the dialogue from there but no you're never going to be ready to step into your power and start owning things until you just jump off the diving board and do it yeah I I think a lot of people like wonder like when is like I I, I just had this really interesting conversation with a friend of mine the other day um about um, we were talking about grief and, and she had recently lost, uh, someone really close to her in her family. And she was, she was expressing to me about how in the past, in, in times of hardship or, or, or in times of experiencing something like grief, her, her kind of go-to was to do a lot of the things that you've kind of mentioned here, which is like, um, you know, get lost in work or, or focus, like focus on things that aren't the fucking thing that, that you need to sit with. And, um, when she lost her family member, it was during COVID. And one of the things that she was saying she was really grateful for, um, when it comes to COVID is that it sort of forced her to actually sit with those feelings of grief and, and it forced her to, to not be able to, to, um, distract herself in the ways that she normally would have, you know, by, by working or by going out to the bar with friends and, and, you know, like (laughs) drinking her sorrows away. Um, do you, do you think that COVID played a role in, 
kind of accelerating your process of healing in terms of in terms of forcing you to to not be able to get out and 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 find ways to distract so covid covid i think actually was such a a gift for me because i had already done the really heavy work of my healing process so mm-hmm. then it was more so taking that and strengthening it afterwards starting to write more i went home to nova scotia spent more time in nature with my family and was really able to um, get stronger and get back into myself after I had done the healing work. However, I think it has also been an incredible challenge and gift for most people. And that exactly what you said, we're having to sit with it. And even if you haven't been through an experience, like I have try the next time. I mean, we, we all have our version of addictions or ways to cope with things that are a little bit unhealthy, or maybe I'll say just not the healthiest or, most progressive options. So whether that's food, whether that's alcohol, drugs, Mm. spending time with friends, watching TV, exercising, like, yeah, whatever you do to avoid the current moment, the present moment, like you're going to be sitting in your situation, just ignoring it, not facing it. So Mm. I really encourage everyone, even for like, try turning your phone off for 10 whole minutes and just sitting there being like, and that's why I think that too, sounds like, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of people, I, I teach meditation. I love it. It's changed my life. However, some people, it's really hard to even just sit for 30 seconds and yeah. be there with their mind. And oftentimes when people get into bed at night, it's the first time they've been alone with themselves all day. And so that's why we see people getting into bed, not being able to sleep because their mind is finally able to process and they're not able to just sit with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It can be very easy to like, it can like as somebody who doesn't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm like always looking to distract myself. Like, I mean, that's hard to recognize in the first place, but when, but I've gone through, I've gone through periods of anxiety or depression and, and, and in on reflection of those experiences, like I'm, I go, Oh my God, I was just constantly trying to not be with myself Mm -hmm. always, Mm -hmm. but you know, being it's, and, and saying that like, and people listening who are going through something where they are, where, uh, you know, from a mental standpoint, they are looking to be distracted subconsciously and don't realize that. Like that could be so valuable to to recognize because you, it's so hard to recognize while you're in the thick of it that you, that that is what you are doing, mm-hmm. and you're just constantly looking for you know that <laughs> video, fun. the podcast, the yeah. the, the, the something, the the, 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 <laughs> the the friend group, the whatever, anything that will just make you not think about how you feel. It's funny because there's a there's a lot of physical reasons why <clears throat> running is good for you, but for me personally, like if I there was a there was a day uh, about a year and a half ago, and and it's I, almost like meditation and distraction at the exact same time. I, it's exactly. <laughs> What I was gonna yeah. say because I I was I had this one day in particular where I couldn't get out of bed until like three in the afternoon. It was like a peak of a depression during COVID at the close to the beginning, and uh, and I was on uh, laying in bed on Discord talking to uh, some of our patrons, and I was like, guys, I'm just having a really down day. I'm still in bed. It's three in the afternoon. I I don't know, I don't know what to do. And somebody's like, what do you think would make you feel better? And I was like, probably going for a run. And they were like, go for a run then. And I was like. Ah, like I, I can't, I can't do it. But like having this this group of people online that were like sort of like cheering me on, like come on, go do it. I was like, okay, fine, fuck it, I'll do it. So I went for a run, and it wasn't like getting out and running. That I mean, I'm sure that played a role in it. But like the quiet time to sort of let your mind start to, and I realize now in in hindsight, that's sort of like what I do in therapy. I just have a guide to sort of ask me questions. And I get to these places a little bit quicker because um, there's support along the way. But when I'm on my own and I just start thinking, you sort of start to like process these things because you have a moment to finally think about like, why do I feel this way? Like, mm. why? Like, this thing is feeling good. So why don't I do more of this? And mm-hmm. and like that sort of like movement, meditation through movement for me is what like really is what I know I need to feel mentally well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of um, our patrons, <clears throat> we've uh, we our patrons are are aware that we're speaking with you today, Paulina, and we've we've had a couple of questions come in from 
some of our patrons. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll fire up both of these. Um, Stina wrote in and asked, uh, did you feel supported by the public's reaction to the attacks? Yes. Um, I, my question would be who the public would be, whether that would be the general population of like the city. I felt very supported by them. Um, my family and friends, very supportive. Um, of course, like you would be, <laughs> you would be such a terrible person if you weren't supportive of me during this time. Um, I think it was <laughs> un- yeah. unusual for people in my community to see someone going like, whenever you see someone going through a really challenging time and you're not able to help, it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It really truly is uncomfortable. So I didn't judge other people's discomfort as something against myself, which I'm lucky that I had the mindset to do that. I I didn't take anything personally. Um, It's interesting. You mentioned earlier um, that people were suggesting going for a run to help you out. And at the very beginning of my journey, you know, when I was, I was still working and I would, I would, I can't stress enough how much I cried, but I couldn't do really anything other than throw myself into work. And at that point, the suggestions to, you know, go for a run were pretty irritating. Yeah. Um, but as time progressed, I was able to see it more of um, people were just trying to show their love and support yeah. in any way that they could. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I can't even fucking imagine like, <laughs> I, I get it. I totally get it. Uh, See, but, the, but but the, also I but also I get it. I get like I get that that is that's you know people are trying to help and and I when mean, you're putting in a position where you're like, oh fuck, I don't know what to say. I, maybe go but, for a run. You know, like that's that's. But I want to highlight. I want to highlight the fact that um, the question that they asked me was, "What would make you feel yeah, better? What do you yeah. think would make you feel better?" And I mm. and I said that like, don't fucking like people. I think having a question based approach to, um, to like having a conversation with someone Mm -hmm. who's going through something that you don't understand and that there's probably a lot of, you know, could be a lot of stigma or awkwardness around is to, if you don't know, ask questions Mm -hmm. because that's, you're not going to stick your foot in your mouth and say something dumb or something that might hurt somebody in, in an experience if you're just asking them questions. I think yeah, for the most part. That, that's, it, what, that's, that's really my philosophy. Point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Roseman, AKA Rosman, um, uh, has asked, um, how has the legal process been? The publicity, the verdict, um, she's wondering it, whether or not it provided some comfort or, or was that re-traumatizing for you? So in the beginning, uh, it was, and not just the legal, but I would say the media at, at first, I mean, um, the day after it happened, I went to try and get some free therapy from a community place and I jumped in an Uber and it was all over the radio. And that was the hardest hearing it all over when I was so sensitive. And then we discussed earlier how victim services really helped to warn me when stuff was coming up. Um, I'm a lawyer. So I found Normally I'd be digging into details. I had to try, I had to definitely stop myself from Googling and learning about everything that was happening. So I tried just to avoid it as much as possible, which I think was the healthiest decision that I could have made. So it wasn't, I I was very well protected. And then now that I'm able to um, process things more, handle things from a more grounded place, it's easier to hear things. Mm. Yeah. That that must've been really tough because like, I, I mean, I remember when it happened, I mean, that was, that was like plastered all over the news for, for weeks. You know, it was, mm. it was everything that, yeah. that we were hearing. In the news and, <clears throat> and I would wonder how much, I would wonder how much, like, like you said, when you're so sensitive to it, like mm. what sort of, what sort of like longer term impact does it have to be inundated with such a public event? Something that like you really can't get away from, you know, like I, I'm not, I definitely, I never live in the like, what if space ever, but you know, it does make you think like, you know, what if it had just been a total, like you like if you had just been able to do nothing for three days, like shut off everything and not have to answer questions and all that shit, you know, like, like, is that the space that people need when they've gone through something so intense to just be like, like the best thing for everybody who has been kind of like in this circle right now is to just, 
is, is to just be totally left alone or, or, or like given the support, but like not be, you know, not be inundated with, with a fat, like a trillion questions and all this stuff. And which is in total conflict with what the police need to do and mm-hmm. all that shit, which is, you know, it, it just makes me think about the process of how everything happens and how that, how that ends up like affecting everybody involved mm-hmm. as they go forward. Um, it, it, go, it, go for it, Brad. I was going to say, it makes me think about how um, fucked up the news cycle is, though, too. Like, yeah. Matt, <laughs> just just uh, yeah. joining you in your what-if journey for a minute here. Like, what if the news <clears throat> wasn't about, like, every horrible traumatic thing that happened? And what if it was just about, like, hey, so-and-so had a really interesting mm. idea today. And, and here's like, we a squirrel that way. can water ski. It's crazy how, me- like, media influences our lives, though, in a, yeah. in a very um, powerful way. Yeah, yeah. big time. Paulina, I'm I maybe this is too soon to ask um, because because of the nature of of PTSD and and um, and how this is you, you know you're only a, a few years out from the from the the event but are you are you familiar with how your PTSD is is sort of like manifesting in your life. Um, <laughs> You know, do you are you are you familiar with the cer- certain things that may may potentially trigger you? Are you are you aware of of how your PTSD shows up in your day to day in terms of like your interactions with your loved ones or um, or just you know complete strangers? Yeah. So in the beginning, my symptoms were much worse of course. And I had a hard time being around crowds. And I think that that's still what I carry the most, just understanding how quickly a situation like this can happen. So I'm always checking the exits. I don't want to be like in a big crowd of people. I was, um, I live in little Italy uh, in Toronto and uh, Italy just won the Euro cup. And I was there to watch the game. And of course we're walking through the crowds afterwards and fireworks are going off at people like all these different things. And that's obviously super triggering for me being in those situations where Mm. there's, um, a lot that I can't control. However, other than that, um, I would just say that my PTSD quickly turned into depression and anxiety. That was what I was suffering from most. Um, the trauma and shock to my brain, not being able to do things, but gratefully, um, the PTSD symptoms, I haven't, I've been able to process the event and I've done, I mentioned, uh, therapy earlier. Also EMDR was extremely fascinating Mm. to me and interesting. So I I was able to, yeah, it's, I love it. Well, I am not doing it right now, but, um, that was so interesting to go through that process. So luckily I'm not carrying as many PTSD symptoms. For for folks who aren't familiar with EMDR, can you, uh, can you run us through that? Sure. Um, so it's basically the way someone else, I'm not sure if anyone else can explain this better. However, for me, it's just doing eye movements and going through the process of the the specific event that happened. So in when I was doing, let's call it talk therapy, we could talk about the event and I could give you details logically, but I wasn't truly feeling the event in my body, which is where we store a lot of trauma and emotions that's what we carry with us. And that's what impacts our decision-making going forward. So you're able to almost clear that energy from within and deal with the direct incident without actually talking about it, but just by bringing the feelings back into your body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. I I, I like it um, from a sense that like, we'll usually um, with my uh, therapist, she'll be sort of tracking my eye movement and and I'll just be moving my eyes and I'll sort of get to a place where, I'm feeling that sort of like elevated sense of like anxiety or, or stress around, uh, around the, um, event or, or experience that we're talking about. And then I find that that allows me to like, think about like, what were my, what were, what was my train of thought when I got to this point when I was feeling that? And then I, it's sort of this like anchor point for me to stay fixated on that sort of feeling that I'm feeling and then I can sit there in the feeling and, and start to work through it. And it's, it's just a really interesting sort of like tool to like, to stay present in that moment of like tension. And then, and then you also feel like you have sort of like a grounding in way out. So like if I'm like focusing my gaze on one point and like really sort of like locking in and, and 
thinking about this experience and trying to understand it and it's getting overwhelming, I can just look away and it feels like it just relaxes for a second. And then I know I can go back there and like start working through it again. It's really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, Paulina, I'm curious to know if, if at all, how, how this event has gone on to like shape and change your, your identity. I feel so lucky this, honestly, I feel like a new person, but the person that I've always been on the inside, I think in our society, we're taught to live a certain way to achieve certain things. And I was so logical and mind oriented and goal oriented. So I would set my mind to something, I would achieve it. And I would set my mind to something and I would achieve it again and keep going and going. But there was truly no consideration for how I felt or I was, I was unconscious of this too. It's not like, um, I knew I, it's not like I thought that I was going against my own desires. However, I was putting other people's feelings and thoughts before myself. So it's been an incredible journey to tune into how I feel and understand that how I feel matters and being able to make choices from that place to create the life I've always dreamed of. It's been an amazing journey. Mm. What uh, what would you say is the biggest thing that this event has taken away from you? <laughs> now I can, I mean, now I can say that it took away like a really crappy job and a really um, <laughs> lonely, the lonely person that I was before. Like I was so stressed, I was unhappy. And I thought that, I mean, work was my whole life. So it's taken away who I thought that I had to be. Um, it's taken away. I mean, it's taken away a lot of things in the process. It's taken away friends that weren't a good fit. It's taken away places that I no longer need to live in. It's taken away, um, you know, it's shifted relationship, like family relationships. It shifted everything around me. I, I look different. I wear different clothing now. Um, I eat differently, like my habits have changed. So everything about me other than the core of my being who I always was has really shifted from it. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Uh, A new life and appreciation for life. Um, Like every day when I go for my walk, I look up at the clouds and I think like what an incredible world we're living in. I you know, stop and smell the flowers. I take pleasure from the perfect cup of coffee. I, and I also like on the converse, I'm able to think more logically and make better decisions. I am able to work for my intuition and I'm able to live really in such a beautiful way. Mm. And, and just for my own curiosity, who in Toronto makes the perfect cup of coffee? Okay. Um, this is a great question. You're in, I know where you are right now. So I'm going to say Mabel's only because they have great pastries to go with it. (laughs) Do they have any, do they have a deconstructed latte? (laughs) (laughs) No, not that hip. (laughs) Good. Good. Um, uh, Paulina, I'm, I, I gotta say it's it. I'm, I'm so glad that you reached out to us to, Mm, to share your story and to, uh, to give us a little bit of insight into, the things that you that you learned from this wildly fucked up situation and and it's it there's something really beautiful about um about what you've taken away from all of this and and I mm. think that uh I think that a conversation like this is one of those really important ones that will that will exist on the podcast in in our our catalog that will go on to hopefully help a lot of other people out there who might be struggling so I want to say thank you for reaching out. Thank you for taking time out of your day today to talk to us uh, because it really does mean a lot. Yeah, Yeah, this was so much fun. Thank you guys for asking really um, different questions and for just providing such a different perspective. This was a lot of fun. All right, folks, there you have it. That was our episode with Paulina all about the Toronto van attack. Um, and, uh, holy smokes, what a guest really, really enjoyed our conversation. Um, and, and we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, listen, thank you for tuning in. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, we love it. Um, make sure you leave a rating and a review because that means a lot and it actually does something. Um, and if you're on Spotify, you can just hit the follow button. 
that's that's also a great thing that you could do to help us. Um, and if you're listening over at the CBC Listen app or any of those other aggregated apps that exist out there, very cool, very cool. P- press buttons. If there's buttons to press, just press them. And uh, the uh, if anyone wants to reach out to us, we love hearing from you. Letters at sickboypodcast.com if you have a comment or anything you want to say about today's episode or anything that you just want to chime in on regarding anything in life. Uh, letters at sickboypodcast.com. Uh, okay, Sick Boy Podcast is brought to you by me, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, producer Lauren Sankey. Jeff Lonis is the manager of this operation. Um, thank you, Donovan the Meerkat Morgan, for all the sound design that you do on these Monday episodes. And, of course, we can we have to thank Take Part for the music. Uh, they are no longer a band, but golly, if they were, we would be just chuffed to bits to go to a show and see them play. Uh, okay, thanks, everyone. Love you, and see you on uh, Wednesday. Bye. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.